it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Friday, December 2nd, 2022. Happy Friday. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I am your host, Guy Benson. Very glad to have you here between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Every weekday. And then around the clock on demand, there's the podcast for free, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. That includes Bonus Benson on the weekends. Follow us on social media, at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. Those are the show accounts, at Guy Benson Show. My personal account on both of those platforms is the same, at Guy P. Benson. I'm the political editor at townhall.com, where my writing appears every day. I'm a Fox News contributor, and I will be appearing on Wall Street Journal at large this weekend. It airs on the News Channel and the Business Network over the course of the weekend, so perhaps you will catch me on the tube. Here's what we've got for you on the radio side today on this Friday edition. Governor Asa Hutchinson, Republican of Arkansas, on his way out the door. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, of course, will be the next governor of Arkansas. There are rumblings that he's at least thinking about running for president, Mr. Hutchinson. We'll perhaps ask him about that, plus his reflections on his leadership in Arkansas. Dagan McDowell will be here in our next hour talking about the economy, today's jobs report, good news and bad news. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, he'll be joining us. Some news out of CNN. Also a very strange series of developments and questions that continue to lurk about the Paul Pelosi attack and some of the media coverage of said attack, including an NBC national reporter who seems to have been sidelined by his own network for reporting something that appears to have been true, which seems odd. Joe has the details on that. We will ask Joe Concha about it. And then also in our final hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern time, my friend Megan McCain will be here. She's pregnant with her second child, She's enjoying her time after The View, where she was the token conservative for years. I wonder if she misses it ever. Probably not, but we'll ask her. And then I've been just warned by the team here at the show that there is some sort of special cookie surprise that producer Christine has cooked up for us involving music, I think, if you want to call it that, at the end of the show in the home stretch. So there's a lot to get to on today's program over these next three hours. I want to begin by addressing something that happened yesterday, and it's something that I really do not relish talking about. Didn't really want to open up the old Friday show in the Christmas season ahead of the big Christmas party that we're hosting at the house tomorrow. Didn't want to really say, hey, let's uh, ease in to the fun festivities with a conversation about anti-Semitism. And yet, I think we have to, because when we have heard spasms and outbursts of anti-Semitism on the political left, we have highlighted and condemned it here. And I think sometimes people kind of avert their eyes from that if they're on that team. 
Then we have people on the fringe right who are bigoted and anti-Semitic, and I think it's important to be consistent and say that kind of bigotry and hate is not acceptable in American politics, really anywhere. And I don't think anyone who listens to this show might suspect that I'm like a secret Kanye West sycophant who agrees with what he's saying. I wasn't even a big fan of his music back when he was at the peak of his powers. I recognize that Kanye is hugely talented when it comes to rap. He's had massive hits. He was especially huge when I was in college and just afterward. People call him a genius. And I think in terms of what he did, his creativity, his art, there has been genius there. It's not my personal cup of tea, but I can respect it. What I cannot respect is the path that he has gone down, and it's really hastened in recent weeks and months, that is just extremely dark and disturbing. And the people who are sort of propping him up and amplifying him have some role to play, I don't want to call it full complicity, but to see what he's doing and where he's going and to try to make it seem like, oh, it's not so bad or make excuses for him or say, oh, he's just misunderstood. He is speaking, I think, as clearly as he can. Now, does he have serious, perhaps, mental illness? I think probably yes. Is that a fair excuse to just wave away? It's like, oh, well, he's just, he's sick in the head, so we can't really condemn him that harshly. Well, I'm not really here to tell you that someone who's mentally ill just gets like a carte blanche excuse, like, you know, like like an excuse card at school where you can just say whatever you want without implication, without consequence. And to see what he has been saying is very upsetting. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks because he was recently a guest at Mar-a-Lago, a dinner guest. Former President Trump had him along with these low-life hangers-on at that dinner, and that's blown up, I think, in Trump's face. We've talked about that here. But even if those guys hadn't accompanied Kanye, Kanye was already saying some of this stuff. It was very much public record what he was saying about Jews, right? The DEFCON 3 comment and beyond. And even though he's rich and famous, doesn't mean that that is a good person to associate yourself with in any way, especially if you're the former president of the United States and an active declared presidential candidate who wants the office back. Kanye yesterday went on the Fever Swamp podcast of Alex Jones, who recently was ordered to pay, what, millions of dollars? That's a huge settlement because of the vicious, disgusting lies he told about the massacre in Newtown, Connecticut at the elementary school years ago. He's been tormenting those families who finally got some justice from him. But Kanye showed up on that show with his little entourage of some of the worst people at the very farthest flung fringes of American politics, all there together. And he was just straight up, Kanye was, defending the Nazis and Hitler. I'm not going to play you the audio. I don't want that on my show. 
You can read the accounts. You can look it up if you want. I'm not exaggerating. He said there was a lot to commend Hitler, basically saying he gets a bad rap. He said we've got to stop dissing the Nazis. Basically like, oh, they did a lot of good things. And he also threw in, of course, some Holocaust denial in there, which is what one of his little horrid underlings says on a regular basis. And even Alex Jones was like, whoa, buddy, let's let's rein it in a little bit. You don't really mean that, do you? He did mean it. When Alex Jones is making an appeal for, like, cooler heads to prevail, saying that's a little crazy, you know you are pretty far down a demented rabbit hole. And yet that is where this individual is. And to see things being said about our Jewish friends and neighbors, I saw Kanye before he got suspended again, had tweeted an image of a swastika embedded within a Star of David. And obviously a lot of people recoiled at that for reasons that should be not subtle or mysterious. To see, I'm not calling it a mainstreaming, but a very prominent person, Saying these types of things, denialism of history, trying to rewrite one of the worst things that's ever happened in human history, or pretend like it didn't really happen the way that it did, is horrifying. And you see just the encroachment of anti-Semitism on college campuses, often from groups that purport to be Palestinian liberation groups, who actually intimidate and bully Jewish students for being Jews. You see it on the far left and far right in European politics all the time. You see appalling displays of it from certain Democrats, and people make excuses for them. I'm looking at you, Ilhan Omar. I'm looking at you, Rashida Tlaib. And you see it, as I mentioned, in this crazy sort of right-wing element that Kanye West has now embraced as his descent is basically complete. And I think when you see that kind of thing happening and you have a platform, I don't like doing a bunch of virtue signaling. I don't like to come out here and just sort of posture and say, oh, we all have to do the thing to make it look like we're good people. I'm not really interested in those fads a lot of the time because I think it's empty. I think it's cheap and empty a lot of the time, especially on social media, very performative. But there are times where I feel like if you have a platform, and I do, and you are seeing this type of stuff done and said about a group of people in this country, in this case a very small minority, you have an obligation to say something. And so I wanted to do that. It's disgusting. I saw... There's a new poll out from Data for Progress, which is a left-leaning pollster, where they actually, before he went on Alex Jones' show and talked about, you know, Hitler being misunderstood and doing a lot of good things and telling people to stop hating on the Nazis so much. Before that happened, there was a poll about Kanye West, where 74% of the country has a now an unfavorable view of him. An overwhelming majority of Republicans Overwhelming majority of independents, overwhelming majority of Democrats, everyone has an unfavorable view. Lopsided. Again, before the latest outburst 
an embarrassment where he was sitting there in the studio with this weird, like, face-covering mask thing, like this black stocking over his head. I mean, he's clearly not well on top of everything. But that's the person that the former president chose to have dinner with after it was clear that this is the type of thing that he's now into. And whether he knew about these other guys who came with him, and I have some colorful language that I would like to use about them, but we are on the radio, so I won't. Whether he knew who they were or not, he claims not. There should be people around someone who is the former president of the United States, whether it's Trump or anyone else, who can say, no, that type of element is not welcome here. We cannot have that. And for whatever reason, because they are impotent or ignorant or malicious or unprofessional or idiots or bigots, I don't know, the people who should be in charge of that sort of thing didn't do what was necessary. Trump has famously denounced and fought with anyone he can think of if there's a perceived slight and he has been saying, oh, I didn't know who these people were, but he is hardly going after them in a way that I think would like aggressively indicate that he wants to denounce what they believe. And so it's just, I think, another bad look for him. And also, look, I didn't want to start the show today talking about Trump either. This is not like a fun topic for me. Oh, yeah, let's attack Trump and talk about Kanye West and his anti-Semitism. But here it is. It's right in front of us. This guy's running for president again. He wants the old job back. There's a New York Times story today talking about how Trump just recorded a video on behalf of January 6th defendants. And look, I'm open to the idea that there's been overreach in some cases by the feds. I don't doubt it. But I guess Trump has made it like one of his missions now to start helping and advocating for these people who attacked the Capitol last January. And he said, and it's quoted in the New York Times story, that he plans to focus on that issue in his 2024 presidential run. We just literally weeks ago saw an election cycle play out where 2020 grievance politics failed miserably at the ballot box. 2020 grievance candidates lost all over the place. Like Doug Mastriano, who got his ass kicked in Pennsylvania. Because it's crazy. That's often a close state. A couple points here or there. He lost by, what, 14, 15 points? Just as a matter of politics, it is a complete waste of time and a political dead end. But some people can't let it go. So we have these self-destructive impulses. With virtually no guardrails, it would appear, over in Trump land. And sometimes I forget that he's a declared candidate for the presidency because it really hasn't gotten all that much attention. He gave the speech. Everyone sort of knew it was coming. And then what? Even if you love the guy, and I understand there are people in this audience who absolutely love Donald Trump. They're thrilled that he's running again. They would vote for him again in a heartbeat. I'm not with you on that. We disagree. That's fine. But even if you're a big you know, Trump Stan, a big fan, with the cheerleader pom-poms and the red hat and everything. How can you look at the last month or so and say, yes, this is good, he's doing well, in terms of his track record in the midterms, 
this debacle with Kanye West, the January 6th backward 2020 obsession constantly at the forefront of his mind. I just don't know how you can objectively look at that and say, yes, this is good. Let's have more of this. And I think there's an awful lot of people who voted for Donald Trump twice, a lot of them enthusiastically, who are ready to turn the page because, like, you know, enough is enough. And at some point, winning has to matter, too, on top of everything else. And I don't know how you approach this race the way he is and have any expectation of ultimately prevailing and winning. I've got a break. I've gone long. We're just getting started. It's Friday on The Guy Benson Show. We will be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. If you're listening on the broadcast, there's some Christmas music playing. Low key. Is this uh, Charlie Brown's? Yeah, Charlie Brown's Christmas classic. Love it. And it underscores that we are in the month of December. The reason I mention that is because there is still a race in California, House of Representatives race, that is uncalled because they haven't finished the counting yet. The Republican is still ahead. He has been now for weeks. He's ahead by like five or 600 votes in California 13. And I was looking for an update on this last night. And I ran across a few tweets from people who are watching California and what's happening there. And did you know that as of last night, at least, there are still an estimated 105,000 uncounted votes in the state of California? From the election that happened in early November, we are now in December. It is Christmas season. It's been almost a month. And there are more than 100,000 unprocessed ballots in the state of California. I, it's, it defies any sort of logic. We can hold elections and have reliable, quick results if we choose to. We know the systems exist and work well. But California chooses its own path, and the result is this. And it's an embarrassment. So we'll give you that update whenever it finally comes, maybe in the new year. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast is free every day on demand. Joining us now is Asa Hutchinson, the 46th governor of the state of Arkansas. He's a Republican. He is just wrapping up his second term. He will be succeeded 
by Sarah Sanders, who won that election running away in November. Governor, it's good to have you on the show. Welcome. Guy, it is great to be with you today. Thank you. So I just want to start because I find it always very interesting to talk to someone who has been in a position like yours, leading a state, especially over the course of eight years. And in a lot of ways, it has not been an easy ride for anyone in a leadership position in the last eight years or so. You won the 2014 election. You won re-election. As you are starting to now probably look back on your legacy as the governor of Arkansas, what are some things that stand out? What are some memories that stand out? What are you proudest of? Well, of course, from a policy standpoint, the fact that we lowered taxes from 7% down to 4.9%, we put a billion dollars back in the hands of Arkansans out of the government coffers. So that's good policy. That helps us to drive our economy forward. When it comes to education, we raise teacher pay, uh, but we also help lead the nation in computer science education and gave our young people a better opportunity. But, you know, but a governor has to solve problems. A governor has to take what uh, bad stuff comes your direction. And nobody expected the pandemic. We had a pandemic, and leading through that uh, was critically important. And I look back on that, and we made tough decisions. As you pointed out, we kept our schools open. Uh, We kept our businesses open. We resisted the pressure. And the result is uh, people had the ability to make a livelihood and were not as far behind as we otherwise would be in terms of education because we plowed through and and we had in-classroom instruction. So, you know, that was a tough time for our country, but that's part of leadership and that's part of my responsibility leading through uh, some difficult challenges that we faced. Sometimes it's hard to answer a question about regrets, especially if you're still in public office, and people sometimes will save some of those things for memoirs and that kind of thing. But maybe I'll phrase it this way. As you look back on your eight years, are there any things that you might do differently on round two? Well, uh, there actually uh, would be something I'd point to. You know, whenever I became governor eight years ago, uh, China was a market that we were trying to bring manufacturing back to the United States. And so, you know, I went to China, recruited business uh, trying to move that manufacturing back here. Of course, I, it was unknown to me uh, that we're going to get into a trade war and China became more oppressive. And so, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have uh, invested more time and energy in Japan or South Korea or even India. Uh, and we created a lot of jobs during that time. But that's an example of where you didn't see the tea leaves exactly where they were going. And uh, I probably could have used the time as governor a little bit better uh, marketing our state, creating jobs in partnership with different uh, uh, different countries that would be a more reliable partner. Uh, and so, um, you know, that is something I'd point to. But at the same time, you know, we're one of the leading states in foreign direct investment. We had great success bringing industry to Arkansas. It was one of the, you know, high uh, priorities that I had. And uh, I think we did a good job uh, during that, even though, you know, we could have uh, – I wish I could have seen what the future was like uh, eight years ago. By the way, I do have to confess, I do a lot of traveling for work and otherwise. I have been to 48 of our great 50 states across this country. 
one of the two still on my list is Arkansas. So I've got to fix that sometime wow. soon. I know. I, it's It's been burning at me. It's been eating away at me for a while. I've got to get to Arkansas. I have friends who are down there who love it. So I'm just saying that to you as the governor just to hold myself accountable. <laughs> I've got to get yeah. to your state at some point soon. Well, you know, whenever I admitted to, uh, you know, an error in the past, maybe that prompted you to say. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so taking inventory. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll come down. I want to come down maybe when the when the hogs are in town for a football game, maybe next fall if I can't get down there in the next couple of weeks. But it is absolutely on my now short list. Uh, very, very eager to get to your state. Looking beyond the borders of Arkansas, Without even specifically talking about the next election cycle, I just wonder as we look back at what just happened across the country in 2022, the midterm elections, what are your political takeaways, Governor, from what happened a few weeks ago, and what is your assessment of the current state of the Republican Party? A great question. And whenever you look at the midterm elections, uh, first of all, it wasn't a red wave nationally, but it was a red wave in Arkansas. It was a red wave in Iowa where they elected uh, a, a Republican attorney general and treasurer beating two Democrat incumbents. They elected a United States uh, Republican congressman who beat a Democrat. And so you have to sort of break it down state by state. And in addition, uh, of course, I think it's really important to look at the midterm elections and realize that while it wasn't a national red wave, uh, the voters still are aligned with Republican values and principles. And whenever you're looking at the economy, whenever you're looking at national security issues or protecting the border, voters trust Republicans. And so we have to put that in perspective. What we did learn was that the voters are concerned about our democracy. They're concerned about candidates that are looking to the past and not to the future. And they rejected those. And so we have to have candidates in the primary election that can win in November, that can attract independents, that can attract suburban voters. And that's a lesson to me of the midterm. If you're going to win in November, you've got to be able to attract those unaligned uh, voters that uh, uh, we've got to reach to win who actually broke slightly for the Democrats this cycle, and in spite of all of the failures of the Democrats, the Biden administration, the big Republican leads on issues like the economy and inflation and crime and immigration, you go down the line, independents very narrowly went for the Democrats, the party in power. And I think you just sort of underscored one of the things that I think was a wake-up call for the Republicans uh, in November. And of course, you're right. There were big red waves in Iowa and Ohio and especially Florida. Incredibly impressive what they did in Florida. But when you have all of the stars seeming to align for what could be or should be a very big red wave across the whole country and voters in the exit polls are unhappy with the direction of the country, unhappy with the president of the United States, who's a Democrat, favoring the Republicans on some of the biggest issues, and yet it doesn't materialize as a red wave. That is, you know, to perhaps stick with the red theme, a red flag from my perspective. And yep. it sounds like your explanation is backwards-looking candidates focus not on those issues. Is that your sort of uh, analysis or post-mortem yes. of this? It is. 
we have to have candidates that are problem solvers there are serious issues that we face and the public wants serious candidates that talk about the issues that they're concerned about whether it's violent crime or whether it's border security those are the candidates that win whenever you're dealing with those pocketbook issues those family value issues candidates can win with that from a republican standpoint and by the way arkansas was a red wave state as well we won national state local uh, legislative races we increased our numbers in and of course whenever you look at our candidates uh, the American people care about our democracy, and they look back at January 6th, and it was a black mark on America, and any candidate had to take that seriously and not just simply gloss over it, not, not uh, defend it, but to say, you know, that's something we've got to do better as a country. We'd never want to do that again. And so uh, it's important not to have chaos candidates but serious candidates that really address problems that people are facing that are very real in their families. Okay, so that leads me to a question that I have to ask. You have been rumored to be looking pretty seriously at running for president uh, in 2024. You're termed out in Arkansas. You've had these two terms, and it's something that you are taking a look at. You haven't really hidden the football on that. It's something that you've spoken about openly. And I get it, right? You, you've look back on eight years and feel like you've done a successful job for the people of Arkansas and you look at the state of the country and even the party and say, okay, I might be someone who can step into the breach here and do something productive. There's the other side of this, and I'm sure you've had some people at least you know, whisper to you the concern on the other end, which is there's one person who's already announced for president. It's the former president, Donald Trump. I know you've been quite critical of him in a number of ways. And at least a lot of the conventional wisdom, and I would say I probably subscribe to it to a pretty significant extent, is as long as the Republican field in 2024 is fractured a bunch of different ways, the person with the biggest slice of the pie would be favored to win. And the more people who get into the race, the more that benefits Donald Trump. And so when you're making this decision about whether or not you would throw your hat into the ring, what do you say and what's your response to some critics who might say, with all due respect and we like the governor, it needs to be as small a field as possible if we want to move on from Trump. And they might allege that you would be part of the problem or at least inadvertently helping Trump. What do you make of that argument? Well, I would say a couple things. Uh, First of all, Uh, This is not, uh, uh, what, six years ago when Donald Trump ran for the first time and he had a broad field and he was able to pick them off one at a time. He was new on the scene. He was an interesting candidate. Uh, He was unknown. They saw him as a fighter. And I believe today is a little bit different. I don't think it's uh, in that same environment that uh, people look at uh, Donald Trump and say he did a good job. And I say that. You know, a lot of different issues while he was president, but we don't need to go down that path again. And so it's a different time frame. And so you can't apply the old rules, what happened in 2018 uh, or 16, uh, with what might happen in 2024. Secondly, it's part of our democracy. I mean, sure, in an ideal theoretical world, you'd get all of these candidates into a 
smoke-filled room and, and uh, make a decision by the party bosses that uh, here's going to be our, our candidate this year or the one that's going to be the alternative to Donald Trump. But that's not the real world, and I don't think it's a very transparent world. I much rather trust the uh, winnowing process of the voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and other states to look at the candidates and measure them very carefully. And we don't know exactly how the field is going to develop. And so until we do, then we need more voices versus fewer voices. And that's an important point. Uh, right now, uh, we need common sense conservatives, those that are providing an alternative, and the people will figure it out. And I think it's going to be different than what it was uh, in the past. Yeah, it could be. And I, there could be folks, and I'm not talking about you specifically, but if there is a big field, maybe one of the lessons from 2016 is if someone gets in, gives it their best shot, doesn't get traction early on, they can get out earlier because momentum is a big thing, and a lot of these states are winner-take-all, and that's definitely a conversation that will continue for the months ahead. And you're not even saying that you're running yet. It's something that you're looking at. But uh, I know that whenever anyone is hinting that they might run, a bunch of people start asking questions. What about this? What about that? One of your fellow Arkansans, Tom Cotton, U.S. Senator, he took himself out of that running or out of that potential horse race with a statement a few weeks ago. So I just wanted to uh, put that yep. question to you since it's in the ether. Last question, Governor. I'd like to talk about your successor as the governor of Arkansas, Sarah Sanders, of course, the mm -hmm. daughter of a multi-term former governor, Mike Huckabee, down in your state. Uh, what do you think about Sarah? And what is some of the best advice you're going to pass along to her as she gets ready to take the reins? Well, I'm excited about uh, Sarah uh, taking over. Uh, she's, uh, we're working very closely on the uh, transition. I think she's going to be a, a great governor, and she's a, a, the first in a number of ways. She's the first female governor of Arkansas. She'll be uh, the first uh, father-daughter combination, and it'll be the <laughs> first time in history that we had a Republican-to-Republican Republican transition in the state of Arkansas. And so there's a lot of firsts here. Amazing. Uh, it is, and it's, you know, I take it as somewhat of a compliment to eight years of Republican leadership in Arkansas of lowering taxes and creating reserves and growing our economy that the people of Arkansas said, hey, let's continue Republican leadership. So I'm excited about uh, what she's going to do. You know, she, she doesn't need advice, uh, but, you know, I would tell anybody that's uh, going into public service and leading the state to build a great team of course, and then trust your instincts and, and really spend time with the people. The best, you know, things I've been able to do is whenever you have an initiative and you rely upon the legislators, but you also great go straight to town hall meetings and you listen to people and you tell them what you want to do. And that agenda always gives you momentum and an opportunity for success. So uh, I'm sure she's going to do great. Uh, looking forward to watching her from a distance. Well, I'm sure that if she ever needs some specific advice from a former governor, she can look at her phone and pull up, you know, Asa Hutchinson and give you a call. Or she could also scroll down to dad, give him a call. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting yeah. possession for her to be in. Uh, Governor-elect Sarah Sanders will be replacing our guest. Asa Hutchinson, the 46th governor of Arkansas, a Republican, will be watching to see what's next for him. And, Governor, we appreciate your time. Thanks for joining the show and have a very Merry Christmas. You as well, and you're invited to come to Arkansas.
yeah, I got to make it down there. I, I'm going to – you hold me to that. I'll hold you to it. It's got to happen. Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We continue on The Guy Benson Show. We mentioned this yesterday. The CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, is in Washington, D.C. He was on Capitol Hill for some meetings. He was at the state dinner in the Biden administration for the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, last night. Our colleague Hillary Vaughn actually caught up with him in the corridors of Congress, asking some very reasonable questions. Tim Cook did not have anything to say to Hillary, but listen to what she asked in cut six. Hi, Mr. Cook. Do you support the Chinese people's right to protest? Do you have any reaction to the factory workers that were beaten and detained for protesting COVID lockdowns? Do you regret restricting airdrop access that protesters used to evade surveillance from the Chinese government? Do you think it's problematic to do business with the Communist Chinese Party when they suppress human rights? And all you hear in response is the sound of footsteps in the hall. Not a no comment, not an acknowledgement that she was even there. Nothing. Those are all absolutely fair questions. She did a very good job. And those are questions that demand answers. Whether in that setting or a more public setting, under oath, for example, they're uncomfortable questions, I think, for some of these American celebrities and companies who have a lot to say about social justice at home and so little to say about China because of their business interests. But these are American and Western companies. Uh, Values should matter. And those answers should be insisted upon publicly from guys like Tim Cook. Another hour coming up. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Our middle hour of three underway on this Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website where the podcast is free every day. Follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. Fox News alert as we kick off this middle hour. The Dow closing the day up just a hair, up 34 points, ending the week at 34,429. And with us now is our friend and colleague, Dagan McDowell, anchor and analyst on Fox Business Network. Of course, a correspondent, a regular featured performer and figure on Fox News Channel and I've heard a rumor that Dagan McDowell is on Gutfeld tonight, along with our friend Kennedy, hosted by our other friend, Kat Timph. Can you confirm, Dagan? Yes, I can confirm. Oh, well, that sounds fun. I'm actually kind of jealous. (laughs) You should be. (laughs) (laughs) It's so so strange because we're all such close friends, and – I wonder if people watching in the audience really can – because we talk like we're friends, but we're really close friends. <laughs> no, it's real. That's a real thing. I can definitely vouch for that. And actually to that point, the other rumor going around is that all three of the aforementioned ladies, Dagan, Kennedy, Kat, 
will all be in attendance at the Benson Wise Christmas party tomorrow night. I'm so excited. Yes. I even know what everyone's wearing. Oh, so you, have you guys coordinated? Was there a color no, wheel? Not coordinated. I just asked, like, what's everybody wearing? So <laughs> I already know how everybody's dressing. I'm driving Kennedy's car okay. Okay. to the Benson Wise residence. Well, here's, here's the other thing. You guys are also staying here. So we are really going into overdrive to make sure that not only do we have a fantastic party for everyone, we also have to be good hosts because this is the first time. I mean, Kennedy's been here. Kat has been here. Dagan has never been at the house before. And so we need to, like, really up our game and make sure that your standards are met. I've never met Roy Oh, well, that will change. That will change tomorrow for sure. That's he like is the most important thing. I don't care <laughs> about like, your home. Screw the party. Screw the house. Screw the <laughs> homeowners. I want to meet the dog. I think you speak for many, actually. I, I can't even blame you on that. All right, Dagan, we've got a few minutes here in the segment. I want to get through as many of these topics as we can. Let's talk about the jobs report that came out earlier. I've seen the spin from both sides, strong jobs report, weak jobs report. It looks like there's some stuff in there that's good news, other stuff that might be, you know, potential worrisome signs. What's your read on what we saw today? I'll focus on the household survey. There are two surveys, the payroll number, the 263,000 jobs created. That's a that's a survey of employers of big businesses. The household survey is what is used to calculate the unemployment rate, and it's a survey. Uh, it, it better captures small business owners, independent businesses, and it also is a better gauge. It, it leads – this household survey leads at economic inflection points. It is a better gauge of when the economy is turning in a bad direction. And there, and there has been a massive gap between the payroll survey or, and the household survey or over the last eight months. All and right. just, in the last, just in the last two months – there have um, the household survey has shown a job loss of 466,000 jobs just in the last two months, while the overall you know payroll survey has shown like a gain of more than half a million jobs. So that is a disagreement of a million jobs. So that is not good. Is a bad sign. It's an important sign to watch because it, it's a very good leading indicator uh, among many. There are a lot of very negative signs about where this economy is going. Like the, the manufacturing activity contracted this week for the first time since the shutdown for COVID in May of 2020. So there are a lot of things I can talk about. But I'd say watching this, sur this survey that's used to calculate the unemployment rate is actually showing job losses in the hundreds of thousands just in the last mm. couple of months. Meanwhile, the Treasury Secretary this week was on Stephen Colbert's show, which is frequently beaten by Gutfeld, at this point out. Uh, even though Gutfeld's on cable, Colbert and all of his colleagues are on broadcast networks. They lose to Greg, almost all of them, every night. And Colbert loses to him a lot. But he had, you know, he's, he has these very exciting 
people on his show, like Janet Yellen. And uh, she was on this week, and she was asked about high inflation because that hasn't gone away. We are still near 40-year highs in inflation. And, you know, what's behind that was the question. Well, here's at least part of her answer in Cut 18. It turned out the pandemic had very special impacts on the economy. Remember, everybody stopped spending on services. They were in their homes for a year or more. Um, They wanted to buy grills and office furniture. They were working from home. Mm. They suddenly started splurging on goods, buying technology. Um, You know, we were suddenly working Mm. through technology. And bottlenecks started developing where supply in particular important sectors of the economy just couldn't keep up with demand. So she also mentioned Russia and Ukraine. And there's some truth to a lot of what she said. But also, I think, to hear the Treasury Secretary asked about inflation to really say, well, it's the American people and they're splurging doesn't quite capture it, at least for me. She left out the multi-trillion dollar spending blowout. Mm-hmm particularly under Joe Biden and company, her her boss. And then she left out, she ran the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has been busy sopping up all that debt, blowing out its balance sheet. You know, it's blue. It, it, it has pumped not like trillions of dollars into the into the economy. The balance sheet was like over nine trillion dollars. It only started reducing it a few months ago in June when it started actually letting some of that roll off. So she just left out the two biggest reasons mm-hmm. that inflation ran up to a 40-year high. She's an embarrassment. Of course, Colbert was at the state dinner last night. Of course, he got it. Uh, and just by the way, Greg beats Colbert uh, for mo- over months. Yep. He beat him in the month of November. He beat him the prior month. So this isn't you know just random one night, two nights. It's like month after month. But And I will point out, and she called him Stephen Colbert. That is how he pronounced his name growing up. Then he got to Northwestern, my alma mater, wanted to sound a little bit more cosmopolitan, changed it to Colbert. He's admitted it. That's just the reference that she's making there. And she is Dagan McDowell. She is a guest on Gutfeld's show tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern, hosted by Kat Timpf, alongside Kennedy, who's one of the guests. All of them will be at my house this weekend for the Christmas party. Can't wait. See you then, Dagan. <laughs> You're the best. All right. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back. Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. I saw this piece in the Wall Street Journal earlier in the week, and it really bothered me. I want to amplify the story a bit. It's an op-ed written by a woman named Robin Keller, who's an attorney. And this really goes to the illiberalism of the left, which is taking over a lot of major institutions. We do the woke tale segment a lot of the time for a reason, to talk about the creep, not just of wokeism, but really authoritarian thought policing. And skewering and ridiculing them sometimes is the appropriate approach. Other times, just shaming them, I think, is the right approach. One of the institutions where we've seen a real turn is law schools and big law firms as well. And there's a law firm called Hogan Lovells that is featured in this op-ed by Robin Keller, headline, No Dissent on Abortion Allowed, 
at Hogan Lovells. The global law firm fired me, she writes, for defending the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. Let me just read to you from what Ms. Keller has written. After the Supreme Court issued its Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade in June, a global law firm, Hogan Lovells, organized an online conference call for female employees. As a retired equity partner still actively serving clients, I was invited to participate in what was billed as a, quote, safe space for women at the firm to discuss the decision. It might have been a safe space for some, but it wasn't safe for me. Everyone else who spoke on the call was unanimous in her anger and outrage about Dobbs. I spoke up to offer a different view. I noted that many jurists and commentators believed Roe had been wrongly decided. I said that the court was right to remand the issue back to the states. I added that I thought abortion rights advocates had brought much of the pushback against Roe on themselves by pushing for extreme policies. I referred to numerous reports of disproportionately high rates of abortion in the black community, which some have called a form of genocide. I said I thought this was tragic. The outrage was immediate. The next speaker called me a racist and demanded that I leave the meeting. Other participants said they, quote, lost their ability to breathe upon hearing my comments. After more of the same, I hung up. Again, I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal, an op-ed by Robin Keller, former attorney, apparently, at this law firm, Hogan Lovells. And we'll get to the former part here in just a moment. She writes, someone made a formal complaint to the firm. Later that day, Hogan Lovells suspended my contracts, cut off my contact with clients, removed me from email and document systems, and emailed all U.S. personnel saying that a forum participant had made, quote, anti-black comments and was suspended pending an investigation. The firm also released a statement to the legal website above the law, bemoaning the devastating impact my views had had on participants in the forum most of whom were lawyers participating in a call convened expressly for the purpose of discussing a controversial legal and political topic. Someone leaked my name to the press. She went on to write, I filed my own complaint with the firm's general counsel's office, alleging that the firm and those who had attacked me on the call had violated the company's anti-harassment policy by publicly labeling me a racist. Hogan Lovells hired another firm to conduct an outside investigation. Three weeks later, I received a letter stating that the firm had concluded my reference to comments labeling black abortion rates genocide was a violation of the anti-harassment policy. Never mind this view has been expressed by numerous mainstream commentators, black and white, including in these pages, meaning in the Wall Street Journal. My complaint was dismissed. My contracts with the firm were terminated, and other firms, wary of the publicity, blackballed me, all after an unblemished 44-year career. Ms. Keller concludes with this. The response of the rabidly anti-Dobbs participants on the call wasn't surprising. What was shocking, at least to me, was how eagerly Hogan Lovells kowtowed to a woke faction inside its workforce. Several women on the call, as well as male lawyers at the firm, contacted me later to offer private support for my right to express my views. Those former colleagues must now realize 
that they are in a hostile work environment. If this could happen to me, anyone who expresses a disfavored opinion, even on a matter of the law, can expect the same treatment. Immediate cancellation without concern for client interests, due process, or fairness. And then the description is, Ms. Keller is former head of the U.S. business restructuring and insolvency practice at Hogan Lovells. What a pathetic reflection on Hogan Lovells. Its leadership, if you want to call it that, the lawyers who work there, the hysterics who drummed this woman out of her job, out of her position, after a legal career spanning more than four decades. And her crime was to show up for a women-only conference call to talk about the Dobbs decision, which is controversial, certainly. I think some people oppose it for reasons that don't reflect what it actually does, because there's a lot of misinformation out there about it. I support the Dobbs decision. I think Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided from the beginning. That is a mainstream American position. In fact, one that is held by a majority of the United States Supreme Court. This woman had the temerity to agree with a majority of justices on the U.S. Supreme Court to lay out a number of arguments on the legal side of the abortion question and about the morality and ethics of abortion itself, sort of a a typical mainstream series of pro-life points. And because she did that, she was instantly labeled a racist, a wrong thinker, and someone who is dangerous. People saying that they had trouble breathing because they heard the words that she said. I would love to know who those lawyers are who couldn't breathe because they heard something they disagreed with. I would never want that person representing me in any way, shape, or form. The term snowflake doesn't quite cover it. And of course, it's nonsense. They could all breathe. They can all make it through the day having heard something that they disagree with. One dissenting opinion. Guarantee you there are other people on the call who agreed with this woman. They just didn't want to say it. They're probably thanking their lucky stars that they didn't because they might be out of a job now. But this is just performative anger and outrage to try to punish and cancel someone to say, if you have a different viewpoint, you're out. We saw this recently at another big law firm that booted some of their attorneys after they won a case on the Second Amendment, I believe at the Supreme Court level. Like they had a big successful legal victory, and for that they were shown the door because they were doing it on behalf of the wrong types of clients on an issue that the woke left-wing bullies decided they didn't want to have any association with. Either adults who believe in pluralism and actual diversity and diversity of thought are going to stand up to these people, or we are going to see a bifurcation of society where we have left-wing law firms and right-wing law firms, and there's no commingling or cross-pollination. That is not a healthier society. That is a much less healthy society. It's not sustainable. I think it's dangerous. And to have a group of supposedly very educated, enlightened people go through this exercise, I think is really humiliating for them. Not for Ms. Keller, but for everyone else involved in her blackballing. So I just wanted to stand in solidarity with her on this, and also just to call out 
Hogan Lovells, and the whole team there from the leadership on down, from the tattletale down freak show to the people who just capitulated. Absolutely embarrassing and disgraceful. And I want to share this dismal episode with you because it underscores some of the points that we make here, unfortunately, too often because we have to. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this break. Joe Concha on a few big media stories straight ahead. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Christmas time on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our online home. The podcast is free every day. With us now, Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, columnist at The Hill, author of the book, Come On, Man. And Joe, great to have you back. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving. Can we still say that like eight days later or... I, don't I know think what the rule we're is. on. I'm even on to Christmas, and I say that as someone who is a Thanksgiving supremacist, and I hate the encroachment of Christmas onto Thanksgiving. But once December first hits, it's Christmas here. So let's just say Merry Christmas. All right, done, done. Because I'm, I'm with you. I don't put on any Christmas music. Don't put up any Good. Christmas lights until after Thanksgiving. It's, it's a whole bowl of wrong when you do it beforehand. It confuses. That's exactly things. right. That's exactly yes. right. A steaming bowl of wrong. I'm going to use that now, Joe. One early Christmas gift that you and I specifically have gotten this year. I don't know if it's going to last, but so far, it has been a delightful season for the New Jersey Devils. It has been a very pleasant surprise. How about those Devils, Joe? Thank you for that. I mean, first place and by like a country mile. And just the young players are, are finally like Jack Hughes, finally coming up to their potential. And I don't want to bore people too much with this because talking hockey in December, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup's played in what, June. Uh, but uh-huh. for now, I, I like what I'm saying. I mean, we have not been to the playoffs. I think we've been to it once in the past 10 years. Decade. And we yeah. haven't won a cup since 2003. So we're hungry, baby. Yeah, for sure. And they're they're young. They're exciting. They're fast. Kind of a tough loss last night, although they got a point because it went to overtime. But overall, it's been really a good ride, and I'm here for it. And hopefully, look, they don't have to play at this clip for the rest of the year. That's unrealistic. But just to show major improvement is something that I'm very excited about, and my family is too. So you and I are Devils fans in the building. I was trolling Mark Thiessen, who's a Rangers fan, who gives me a hard time and has for years because they just beat the Rangers the other night. So I, I went after him on the air the other day, and he's like, I was just waiting for this. I said, good, I hope you have more opportunities uh, for me to trash talk as the season unfolds. So we'll have you back on Hockey Joe. But for now, let's turn to this issue. This is a topic that I feel like is right in your wheelhouse and it's something that is very weird to me. I don't know how else to describe it. It is exceptionally strange. So we all remember a couple of weeks before the midterm elections, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, her husband, Paul, was attacked in their home in San Francisco in the middle of the night. And we talked about it here. There were some false reports floating out there that made some of the details sound a little fishy and unusual. Some of those reports were then corrected or retracted. There was, though, this question about the sequencing, the timeline of when the police got there, and I guess the hammer attack happened after the police had arrived at the house or on the premises. There was a report on NBC News on the Today Show by one of their correspondents who 
at least appear to shed some light on the timeline, saying that Mr. Pelosi came to the door and opened the door to the police and then walked back toward the man who eventually, shortly thereafter, attacked him. NBC aired it. it. It happened on the Today Show. Then they retracted it within a matter of minutes or hours. They said that the report did not meet their editorial standards. They didn't really explain why it didn't meet the standards, why they had retracted it, but they did. And that correspondent has been off the air, not seen since, at least as of yesterday. I don't know if he popped up today, but he was basically benched for a while. The reason I give this whole prelude, Joe, is because there have subsequently been a number of reports, including from a local channel in San Francisco, that what this guy at NBC reported was correct based on body cam footage from the police. So if this reporter at NBC was not wrong, and that at least seems to have been or allegedly has been confirmed, his reporting by people who, reporters, who have seen the body cam footage, why was this report retracted? Why is this guy off the air? I'm not here to peddle any conspiracy theories or make any sort of allegations about what happened here. But this is just another, in my book, another weird thing about this story that is disturbing and strange as it is. And, Guy, remember the story before this story, and that was the Paul Pelosi drunk driving arrest, right, where we couldn't get a mugshot. We couldn't get real information about – remember this. I mean, here you have a guy worth over $100 million, and instead of calling an Uber, he takes his Porsche – has a couple of drinks at dinner, crashes into somebody else, injuring the people in the other car, and then he basically gets off with a slap on the wrist. And, and so few details ever came out about that whole incident. So the, the Pelosi's, at that time, you're like, okay, they seem to have protection either from uh, the local media, or national media, uh, the, the police who weren't very forthcoming, the DA, you go through the, the list. And then this happens, where you have the reporter, NBC in this case, asking questions like, why didn't Paul Pelosi tell the officers when they arrived, that he was in distress, right? The reporter also noted, I got the quote here, we still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for 30 minutes, the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. So these are perfectly legitimate questions to ask, yet NBC pulled it. And I remember at the time I tweeted out, look, just put out the body cam footage, and that usually takes away 99% of the ambiguity, and we could finally see exactly what happened. And now we're seeing reports of body cam footage, but it's still hasn't been released. Why? You want to put this to bed, that's what you do. But the Pelosi's seems to be on a different level when it comes to law enforcement and transparency. And look, obviously this man, an elderly man, was attacked in his own home. It is disturbing. He, there's no disputing that he was attacked. He went to the hospital. It's awful. I am not sitting here saying, oh, I think this is a conspiracy or there's something that they're not telling us. It does, however, Joe, seem odd that if a major national news network is going to suspend, apparently, one of their correspondents for reporting something on the air, and then they take down the report and, and they back away from it, but if he's going to report that thing, and they say it didn't meet our standards, and then other news outlets, including the local NBC affiliate, I believe, in San Francisco, they've reported, no, we saw the body cam footage, and this timeline that was described on the Today Show was correct. I just don't understand what's happening here, and... When there is so much opacity and you've got influential rich people involved and details are not forthcoming and people at least appear to be punished for telling truths that also contradicted the Justice Department 
account, by the way, some theories are going to start to fly. And they have to understand that's sort of the way the human brain works. I'm not trying to go down any weird rabbit holes here. I would like an open and full accounting of what the hell happened because it was a big, big news story. Conservatives, of course, were blamed for it there for quite a while for political reasons. And now it's just sort of like, okay, what really happened here specifically and why aren't they just being more forthcoming and and telling us the TikTok of what happened? I I feel like it shouldn't be that complicated. That's the irony here, Guy, right, that you have news organizations like NBC, particularly during the the Trump years, screaming about the need for transparency and for the powerful to be held accountable. Well, guess what? That includes organizations like NBC as well. Okay, you suspended this guy. Why? You said it didn't reach your standards. What standards are those exactly? What did he get wrong? Oh, hey, there's been evidence that's come out since that may confirm that your reporter was right all along, so he's going to be reinstated, right? Uh, But no, of course, NBC will not comment on this in any way, shape, or form. They're just saying, hey, this is an internal matter, and we're not going to talk about it. Oh, okay. Uh, By the way... And and let me just say, let me say one other thing about Paul Pelosi. Obviously, he's a victim here. No one, I think, is seriously disputing that. Also, if he did some things that don't really make sense logically in terms of the sequence of actions and calling the police and if there were you know gaps in the timeline, if you are woken up in the middle of the night, disoriented, alone, with some sort of menacing stranger in your house, there are plenty of reasons, especially at that age, where you could think of like a plausible explanation of, of why he may not have acted in a way that at least in retrospect to the rest of us might have seemed logical. Again, I'm not trying to jump to any conclusion saying that this is all this concocted thing, but when they withhold information from us and they censor things that then turn out at least reportedly to be true, that's going to fuel this stuff. It's going to fuel the questions, Joe. That's my point. Right, that's the thing. The more, the less transparency there is, the the more it looks like you may be trying to hide something, right? But but the the one question, by the way, that I still don't quite understand is that why, after police arrived, didn't Paul Pelosi just get out of the house, right? Yeah, Yeah, no, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Came into my house with a hammer, right? And then they're there, and the police finally come. I'm hiding behind them, and I'm running out to to, to their car immediately. And he went back towards his attacker, right? And that's when he got attacked. Only then. So uh, that's the thing here. So uh, I I just hate the fact that this is happening right now, where you finally get some. Because I see the broad brushes all the time. Marita, the media is corrupt. The media is completely biased. It's such a broad brush. There still are good reporters out there, and I'm not just talking in Fox. People do get to this business to to investigate and, and to shine a light of truth uh, on, on on big stories they're not just uh, political hacks more and more are unfortunately but here finally you have a good reporter asking good questions and doing some good reporting it appears and still he's getting the shaft because well he nancy pelosi has a d next to her name i suppose yeah and just asking for questions and for clarity on some stuff, especially, by the way, when people on our side of the ideological spectrum were blamed for this attack from this kook nut weirdo who has some dabbling in all sorts of different extremism, left and right, over the course of his life, it seems, this this alleged attacker. It's not victim-blaming, and that's not what I'm trying to do here, to just say let's get the actual facts out and that so far is not what we have seen. And perhaps this will go to trial at some point, and then we might learn more. Perhaps there'll be some sort of deal struck and it goes away. I just feel like the public, 
deserves more information than we have gotten, especially given some of those narratives that popped up around it. And there's just a whiff of strangeness. That's all I'm saying. Joe Conja is our guest. Joe, when we come back, another big media-related story, CNN announcing major changes and layoffs. We'll get reaction from Joe right after this break. Guy Benson will be right back. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, is my guest. We were just talking about kind of a mystery at NBC News in some sense. Meanwhile, Joe Concha, another story. This is getting a lot of attention in sort of media circles, and this is kind of your beat for the most part. CNN announcing a restructuring, sort of a relaunch in some ways, kind of a reboot is maybe the best term to use here, including a number of layoffs across the network, including some folks who have been on air for them. I am very much not in the business of gleefully sort of celebrating anyone losing their job, whether I'm a fan of someone or not. You know, this is a tough business. It looks like there's some tough times ahead for the country and the economy. You know, I think it's bad luck, bad karma to celebrate anyone losing their job. That being said, I think there are a lot of folks, and you've made this point here on the show multiple times, Joe, you know, CNN has embraced a business model, at least in recent years, that is not sustainable for them. And the new leadership clearly taking things in a new direction. What do you make of what's happening at CNN and the announcement that we saw just earlier this week? Well, I'm with you, Guy. I mean, I, I tweeted out yesterday, maybe the day before, when, when these layoffs came about. Uh, hey, you know, CNN could have waited until maybe after Christmas, after the holidays, before doing this. Now these these folks have to go home, and you know they don't they, they don't have a job, and, and and the industry is contracting like everywhere, particularly social media. Right? We see it at Twitter. We see Amazon's going to have ten thousand layoffs. Facebook's going to have eleven thousand. Uh, you, you see it at other networks as well. Uh, Gannett, uh, which is a, a huge uh, newspaper wire service, uh, they're they're cutting thousands of jobs. So it's not like hey, these guys will be all right. There's plenty of jobs out there in this industry, and that is not the case. So I'm with you on that. Uh, as far as what this means for CNN, they're trimming the fat. I mean, they have so many contributors. I think it's over 100. I mean, do you really – in a contributor, just for the folks listening at home, that means you appear in the network. Usually it's in spots, right? You do like we do, guy, like five minutes here, six minutes here on, on different shows, but you're exclusive to that network, so you can't appear anywhere else, and you get paid to do it. Uh, all that said, they, they have way too many of those folks because those are opinion people, right? And, and the new management, Discoveries uh, specifically, they want CNN to go back to the Bernard Shaw first Gulf War CNN, which was doing good reporting, seen as an objective news source that both sides can trust. And with an election coming up, the 2024 election, believe it or not, I guess the campaign's already started since Trump already announced, they want to not scare away Republicans from ever appearing on the network. The problem is you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together. And if you talk to any conservative, they would say, boy, that I, I'll never trust CNN again. They could talk all they want about going to the middle or whatever, but they really haven't changed their personnel. Don Lemon got an extra hour of airtime. I mean, is that a big improvement? I, I don't know. And they really haven't hired anybody where I say, ah, you know, that's a good change. So I, I think they're in big, big trouble. It's only going to probably get worse for them uh, because once you make an impression like they did under Trump, 93% negative coverage of that administration, uh, can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Guy, let's put it that yeah, I mean, look, if they want to really turn the ship slowly towards something different, then they're going to have to prove it for years, I think, to have people maybe 
come back and give them a second look and say, okay, what they're actually trying to do here is legitimate and they're making a good faith effort at it. I will say that I'm a big fan of cable news contributors who give their opinions. I'm a big fan of that business model, just speaking personally, <laughs> uh, because it's my job. Um, and so I, I see people losing that job. I'm like, oh, yikes. But I think part of the issue also at CNN, Joe, is they have a certain point of view, or at least they have now for years, that is so almost universally shared among their opinion people and a lot of their hosts who claim not to be opinion people, where even the folks who are billed as on our side, so to speak, kind of aren't. Not all of them. There's a couple of good conservatives left there. But overall, it is a groupthink situation. And if you now have a new you know, management vision where it's not going to be beating that drum relentlessly day in and day out, then perhaps some of the folks whose job it is to beat the drum, they kind of start to feel a little bit more expendable in the context of a network like that. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Anna Navarro is, is dubbed a Republican strategist on CNN when she literally endorsed Joe Biden and Andrew Gullum who, and, and uh, Charlie Crest, who ran against Ron DeSantis. Right? So, no, you're not a Republican if you're endorsing the, those sort of folks. Uh, and I, I am a big fan of contributors as well. I, let, let, me, let me rephrase that. When you watch <laughs> CNN, the old CNN under Jeff Zucker, you would watch programs where you think you're watching the beginning of the Brady Bunch, where you'll have nine people on your screen on election night. I've never seen a table midterm election night that long before they had 12 people on set you don't need that many opinions and if you watch like a tucker carlson he has one person on with him only ever notice like tucker never does a panel never has two people on at once right and, and at max like with fox you may see three on like a party panel on kennedy but for the most part we don't nearly have as many contributors as they do so i think they're just getting rid of, of some in a cost-cutting uh, type of move but again when you're going to keep paying the don lemons and the jake tappers and the anderson coopers millions of dollars you could cut all the smaller salaries that you want until you make the big cuts i don't think it's really going to make that much of a difference guy well we'll be watching or perhaps not watching as it were with what's happening over there but it's certainly the talk of the business and the industry right now which is why we wanted to ask joe concha about it fox news contributor columnist at the hill media critic his book is come on man the truth about joe biden's terrible horrible no good very bad presidency joe appreciate your time merry christmas to you we'll talk again soon Merry Christmas. And by the way, what they did to your friend Mary Catherine Hamm over there is, is inexcusable. She was the best talent they had as far as contributors, and I, I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Well, I cannot possibly disagree. I know so much about it that I probably can't say, but your sentiment is correct. I share it entirely. And with that, we'll take a break. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Five o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy hour on a Friday. Happy Friday, one and all, here on the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is free every day on demand. No charge to you. That includes bonus Benson on the weekends. Totally free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. 
And as you may have gathered, we have quite a lot of the product at the house right now. For tomorrow's party, there will be long drink aplenty. As it has exploded in popularity across the country, it was a huge hit at last year's Christmas party, so we had to do it again for this year. I can't believe it's tomorrow. I am stressing out so much, I can't even tell you. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. But for now, I'll tell you that the Long Drinks website is thelongdrink.com. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only, thelongdrink.com. It's really good. I might need one tonight just to take the edge off as we prepare to have far too many people in this house tomorrow. Let's bring in our final guest of the show. It's my friend Megan McCain, columnist at the Daily Mail. Megan, it's great to have you back. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you. Merry Christmas. So I have to start just on a personal note, a couple questions. I know that you have been out there very public about this on social media. You are pregnant with your second child, which is so exciting. Congratulations. And I feel like you've got to be due pretty soon, right? I'm due in the beginning of January, but I could be due now. I'm so over it. Like, (laughs) any person who's been pregnant that was, like, 30 under, just, like, enough. It's terrible. Everything hurts, and I keep sending my husband to go get snacks. So I'm over it. (laughs) So it's funny because some of my friends who've been pregnant, a handful of them, love being pregnant, love the whole experience. But almost all of them say what you say. By month seven or eight, they're like, okay, get this baby out. Let's... Get the show on the road. I'm done with being pregnant for now. It sounds like you are in that camp. Have you had any, and you feel free to like not answer any of these questions because they're personal, but I'm just curious, have you had any interesting or distinct cravings? Because our mutual friend, Mary Catherine, when she's been pregnant, every single baby has been different. Like I remember one of them, she craved sausage pizza and Coca-Cola all the time. Another baby, she was craving sushi all the time. Is that a thing for you or has it been kind of normal? No, I crave, like, gross food, like, trashy food, like, egg McMuffins and, like, Taco Bell, and it's gross. It's not, like, classy. said Ben. Ben, go to McDonald's. Yeah. Egg (laughs) McMuffins, for some reason, I just can't, like, eat enough of them. So I I eat one almost every morning now. It's gross. And then... No, no, and look, no, Egg McMuffins, there's a time and a place. Like, I have no reason to dispute that. I've had one or two in my day. I can't imagine having it every day, but I also cannot imagine being pregnant. So I feel like that's where my misunderstanding probably comes in a little bit. One more thing uh, about this, and I don't want to ask, like, any questions again that are, like, too probing, but are you guys sort of preparing your already born little one for a sibling? Are you guys telling people the gender? Do you know? Are you holding on to that info? We're having another girl, which I'm very happy about um, because I like my husband being outnumbered by estrogen. I don't know this thing about it. I think it's really funny because he's really like, I don't know, he looks like a lumberjack and he's really like serious. So I think it's really funny that my daughter was like trying to paint his toes the other day when he fell asleep on the couch and like <laughs> princess dresses everywhere. So I think it's funny. And Mary Catherine has three girls. And I know, I think she, um, I, don't, I actually don't know what she's expecting, but I know she has a ton of girls. So uh, yeah, and Liberty, like, doesn't get it or understand. She's really obsessed with Frosty the Snowman and the Grinch right now, and that pretty much covers it. So Priorities. I, I'll let you know. <laughs> no, but but it is, like, sort of charming because anyone who knows your husband, Ben, he very much is sort of super masculine, alpha-type manly dude. And to just be a two-time girl dad is kind of charming for him. Um, let me ask you a question. Are you guys thinking about possibly having kids at all, or is that something in the future or not? 
it is definitely something under discussion in a serious way, and I'll just leave it at that for now because, as you might imagine, it is very complicated for people in our situation, and so it is definitely something we're interested in. Uh, we love our friends and their kids, and it just seems like a very cool thing to be a parent. And I know now you've been a parent. You're about to be a two-time mom. Just thrilled for you. I know that you're invited to the party tomorrow. You're also super pregnant, so if you can't make it for that reason, totally acceptable. We'll have one or two other pregnant ladies, I think, at the party, just FYI. But one way or another, we will get, like, margs after you've had the baby. How does that sound? I also think that you would be a wonderful parent, and obviously I love Adam, too. So I, I like, you know, I'm all for it. And I was the craziest, like, party girl ever for basically all of my 20s into my 30s. And, like, I never thought I would ever have kids. I never thought I would be a mom. And you can, like, do both things. You can, like, have fun and, like, see your friends and socialize and still have children. And I think there's a stigma that, like, once you have kids, it's just that. And I have not found that. I mean, I love my daughter, obviously, and take care of her every day. But you can still, like, you know, have a babysitter come and go out to dinner and have a nice time. Yeah, I know. And I think, no, that's huge. And I've like the same thing with marriage. There are people like, oh boy, once you get married, life kind of gets sort of boring and you guys are just kind of homebodies. And that has not been our experience in our marriage over the last three years. And then with kids, like, I think it just sort of depends on the mindset of the parent. And if you want to make sure that you have sort of the balance of the home life, out of home life work, it's not easy. It sounds like it's a challenge in some ways. And obviously sacrifices have to be made if you're a parent. Like that's part of being a responsible adult and a responsible parent. But you also don't have to just like hang up the cleats and be like, okay, all the fun is over until the kids are of a certain age. Uh, that would probably not be my mentality. But perhaps down the line I'll need to get some advice from you on that front. One more thing, Megan. I did introduce you as a columnist at the Daily Mail. Love your stuff. Obviously, you spent some time at Fox News for a while, and then famously, you had your experience at The View, and we talked about that when you wrote your book. Is it sort of relaxing to be in a post-View lifestyle at this point for you? Because I know it can't be easy, but it's also a very high-profile job. You're talking to influential people. You're making, certainly in your case, an impact on that show. Do you ever miss it, or are you kind of glad that the chapter has come to an end? You know, I am one of two hosts in the entire 25-year history of the show to leave on their own and not be fired. Me and Meredith Vieira, that's it. So if you're like a VU super fan, it's a little bit of trivia. Um, and I think leaving on my own terms made it a lot easier um, because, you know, I, you know me very well, Guy. I've known you a long time. Like, I run my life and I make my own decisions and, like, you know, I was so miserable at the end, and I had, you know, it's been very public and open. Um, I was one co-host I still am friends with. The rest, you know, it was very ugly at the end, and they have all trashed me publicly to the press since the show ended. So it makes my decision a lot easier, knowing that, like, they basically were the people I thought they were. Yep. Um, I also, um, you know, I just, it, it's not fun. It, it was not a fun job, and I don't think that, you know, people work really hard jobs in the world, and I don't dare compare it to, like, you know, people who are doing hard labor or very serious jobs or anything like that. But it really did start taking a huge toll. And, um, you know, I don't – for me, it's like, you know, I'm, a, I'm conservative. I've gotten even more conservative as I've gotten older, and then I got really conservative when I had a child. And I don't think the show is a reflection of who women are in the country at all. 
so I just wasn't proud of it. And I think it's hard to go into work every day with something you aren't proud of. And then, like, I juxtapose it with my time at Fox, and I still have, like, very dear close friends who I worked with. And those friends are mostly women, so it's not like I have an issue having friends with women. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't know. But the other thing about leaving The View is it feels like escaping Scientology. I mean, they trash you when you leave. Uh, The other escapees and I bond. Like, people have left the show, like, ex-host. There's, like, this weird kinship. Um, There's, like, a sorority of ex-viewers. No, it's so true. Like, the ex-hosts that I have become friendly with, especially ones, and I don't want to, because, you know, I want to keep their privacy. But yeah, like, yeah, don't the get them in trouble. Leave nicely. Yeah, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but there's a weird bond there, too. It's like, this. It's like oh, you went through it, too, and now you're on the outside, and, like, you didn't want to stay for 30 years, either. Like, you didn't want this to be your whole life forever, so... It, it doesn't. It, it is a weird feeling to leave because I think, especially leaving on your own terms, for whatever reason, has been very triggering to a lot of people who still work there. You know what? I'm just going to put this out there. I would probably watch at least a few episodes of a View style show starring only people who used to be on the show. You could call it like the Viewed past tense. I would watch that. <laughs> I'm sure you would. I would watch it too, but I don't want to host it or be on it because some of it is like it's, and I'm sure you feel this way about people you've been through, you know, unique experiences with, like you bond over the things no one else can understand. And there's one person in particular who I was not friendly with when the show was on that I've become pretty good friends with now. And it, I just hope for someday, because I'm sure this show will be on for like another thousand years, <laughs> that there's any host that leaves. It's like it was a great experience. I loved it. And, you know, I love ev- like no one has this story. Everyone's like I got out and it felt like I was escaping a cult. Yeah, which kind so, of tells you everything you need to know about it. Uh, and, and it just like from the outside, even seeing clips, it just seems like this daily slog of unhappiness and ignorance. And if you happen to be on like the bad side of what they believe is right in the world, it's even worse. So we can leave it at that. Megan McCain, stand by, quick break. We will turn to the news cycle when we come back. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show with my guest, Megan McCain. Megan, You said something that caught my attention. You said since you became a mother and had Liberty, your daughter, you've become even more conservative than you previously were. I can imagine that you might have a few thoughts on a topic we covered a bit this week, the Balenciaga controversy and their ad campaign, the sexualization of of really young kids. seems like they are finally admitting error and condemning child sexual abuse, but kind of seems to a certain extent it might be too little too late. What's your view on this? Well, I, I like, up until a few weeks ago, loved Balenciaga, and I had purchased a few of their bags over the years. Um, it's, like, a very high-end line that was very hip. And when I first saw the ads, and it's not just the ads, it was, like, the piece of legislation underneath one of the handbags was about child porn, um, a book that was featured that I would not tell anyone to Google it because it's so – the content of the book is so violent, and it's about, like, child dismemberment, and there's blood. And, again, I don't want to gross. I'm sorry to gross everyone out, but that's what was featured in this fashion ad. And I've gone down, like, so many spirals of the photographers, the stylists, and it is, like – I would go so far as to say, like, dark, satanic – And I don't, like, talk like this. I'm not, like, a conspiracy theorist, but, like, 
the most kind of like evil, vile content that the world has to offer. You're talking about like the sexual abuse and exploitation of small children. And the photos are obviously, you know, really alarming and dis- disgusting. I don't even like looking at them. Those, those girls, I think they're three and four that were featured in the ad. My daughter's two. So it's like not that far off. And I have been very confused by the response to it. I think Kim Kardashian is an absolute coward for not cutting ties immediately. Um, Kim, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman is featured in one of the ads. She hasn't said anything. There's been this like weird silence. And the thing I don't understand is if you offend any other group of people, like a, you know, a minority group uh, of any kind, you know, in any way, there's always just explosions and pushback and things are pulled from the shelves. And like, I'm no fan of the Trump. So like Ivanka Trump's line of clothes was like pulled from Nordstrom's when president Trump became president. And to me, it's like, I find child trafficking and child pedophilia much more offensive than anything Ivanka Trump has ever done. And it's a, it's very weird. And it's, yeah, and it's a very weird um, place that fashion seems to be okay. And the, the head designer and the, the head person in charge of the celebrity, his name's Debna, he's staying. They just, the Lanciaga just announced that he's staying. So there really aren't, aren't a lot of ramifications for this. I will say I have a friend who works at Lanciaga, and he told me that there is a lot of returns happening in the store. Like a lot of people are returning merchandise that they have been given or had in the past. Oh, so interesting. there is something that, to that. Yeah, I mean, and you make a very good point. We are such a society fueled by outrage where we just kind of lurch from outrage to outrage. And so much of it is based on petty stupidness or just like tribal difference of opinion. And then you get something like this and you would think it would be a universal blow up. And to some extent it has been, but not to the extent that you might expect, given what you just described There's another vile news cycle underway right now, Megan, and you invoked Kim Kardashian, her ex, Kanye West. I mean, I don't know what there is even to say about him at this point. I don't know whether to feel bad for him because he's obviously deeply troubled and there's so much wasted talent there. But at some point, any sense of sympathy or pity gives way to just revulsion at what this man is saying publicly and then these people in his orbit It is a pretty horrifying thing to watch from someone who is very rich, very famous, and for a period of time really had an enormous amount of cool cultural cachet in the U.S. and around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I watched, um, you know, his the clips from his appearance on Alex Jones last night like everybody else did, and it was like a podcast broadcast from hell. Like, it was like what I imagine, like, (laughs) the devil and people and hell like saying like saying oh my god and like saying you know uh, hitler's great and just things that are you know not worth repeating because like you said he's he has been open about his mental illness i actually take offense at the idea that people who are mentally ill are automatically like bigoted and anti-semitic those things don't go hand in hand at all i have close friends who suffer from mental illness of different varying degrees and you know, they're offended by it as well. And they're also, by the way, like responsible and medicated and taking, you know, agency and responsibility. Right, of their it's not lives. an excuse so, for bigotry and horrible things. Yeah, I agree. And I don't like the idea that those things go hand in hand. I think it's like very irresponsible. Um, and I think when it comes to Kanye, you know, he, like you said, he was such an icon for such a long time. And last night I was texting, I, when I was watching, I was texting some of my friends and I was like, I just can't even understand how a person would spiral this way. The closest thing I can think of is like 
O.J. Simpson and his Bronco. Like, it's like that level of watching a celebrity uh, unravel in front of our eyes. I also think that people should stop platforming him in general. And I think there's a lot of people who have given him a lot of platforms for a while now, as he's been saying a lot of very incendiary things. And, you know, I was done with Kanye when he said slavery was a choice. So I haven't had anything to do with him for a long time. And I just think it's getting worse and worse. And I implore anyone who's thinking about interviewing him not to do it because it's obviously, you know, as far as I'm concerned, inciting violence against Jewish people. And also, he's not well. This is a crazy person, and you're taking advantage of a crazy person spiraling in the same way that I would have had a problem if someone interviewed Britney Spears in 2007 when she was, you know, had a 5150 hold on her. Like, people unravel. And, you know, even the tiniest bit of notoriety you and I have, um, it's hard. It is hard when people know who you are and want to judge you for different things. It's hard. And again, I have like a, a peanut size, tiny, 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 tiny bit of what that feels like. And I've struggled with different things before, let yep. alone if you're Kanye West or, yep. you know, so, someone at that level. No, I think that's exactly right. I think that's well said. And on that very bright and cheerful note, <laughs> we have to go up on a break. Megan McCain, my friend, columnist at the Daily Mail, soon to be mother for a second time. Megan drinks after the baby comes. Let's make a date. Thank you. Yes, Merry Christmas, and thank you for having me on. And I will hopefully see you at your party tomorrow. That would be awesome. Merry Christmas. Talk soon, Megan McCain. On the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. More next. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Friday happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you along. Dagan McDowell, our friend and colleague at Fox News and Fox Business, joined us earlier talking about the economy and more. Here's a little taste, a little glimmer of that conversation with Dagan McDowell. The other rumor going around is that all three of the aforementioned ladies, Dagan, Kennedy, Cat, will all be in attendance at the Benson Wise Christmas party tomorrow night. I'm so excited. Yes. I even know what everyone's wearing. Oh, so you, have you guys coordinated? Was there a color no, wheel? Not coordinated. I just asked, like, what's everybody wearing? So <laughs> I already know how everybody's dressing. I'm driving Kennedy's car okay. Okay. to the Benson Wise residence. Well, here's here's the other thing. You guys are also staying here. So... We are really going into overdrive to make sure that not only do we have a fantastic party for everyone, we also have to be good hosts because this is the first time. I mean, Kennedy's been here. Kat has been here. Dagan has never been at the house before. And so we need to, like, really up our game and make sure that your standards are met. I've never met Roy. Oh, well, that will change. That will change tomorrow for sure. That's he like is the most important thing. I don't care <laughs> about like, your home. Screw the party. Screw the house. Screw the homeowners. <laughs> I want to meet the dog. I think you speak for many, actually. I, I can't even blame you on that. All right, Dagan, we've got a few minutes here in the segment. I want to get through as many of these topics as we can. Let's talk about the jobs report that came out earlier. I've seen the spin from both sides, strong jobs report, weak jobs report. It looks like there's... Some stuff in there that's good news, other stuff that might be, you know, potential worrisome signs. What's your read on what we saw today? I'll focus on the household survey. There are two surveys. The payroll number, the 263,000 jobs created, that's a, that's a survey of 
employers of big businesses. The household survey is what is used to calculate the unemployment rate, and it's a survey. Uh, it, it better captures small business owners, independent businesses, and it also is a better gauge. It, it leads, this household survey leads at economic inflection points. It is a better gauge of when the economy is turning in a bad direction. And there, and there has been a massive gap between the payroll survey or, and the household survey or over the last eight months. All and right. just in the last, just in the last two months, there have um, the household survey has shown a job loss of 466,000 jobs just in the last two months, while the overall you know payroll survey has shown like a gain of more than half a million jobs. So that is a disagreement of a million jobs. So that is not good. It is a bad sign. It's an important sign to watch because it it's a very good leading indicator uh, among many. There are a lot of very negative signs about where this economy is going. Like the manufacturing activity contracted this week for the first time since the shutdown for COVID in May of 2020. My full interview with Dagan McDowell available online at GuyBensonShow.com. Also on our free podcast, the whole show, start to finish, on demand, for free every day including Bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, it's the home stretch. Producer Christine has done something. I don't know what it is. She's not telling me what this segment is going to be about, what is in store for us. I have no idea. I'm scared. I'm honestly very scared. So join me in fear next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on this Friday, almost the weekend together here on the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com, podcast free every day. Bonus Benson coming up on the weekends. So a couple notes here. Christine, you know that I'm a Peloton person. I talk about it sometimes here on the air. It's the exercise bike. We've had one for a couple of years here at the house. And I've tried to get you to at least attempt a Peloton ride here or there. One of my instructors that I enjoy the most is this guy, Cody Rigsby, who I think is probably one of their most popular overall instructors. He's pretty flamboyantly gay. That's part of his brand. He's had a very successful career at Peloton. He's done Dancing with the Stars. He's got all these endorsement deals now. They've created this little, like, I don't even know what to call it, like a series on Peloton which is almost a talk show, but on the bike. It's called LOL Cody, and he brings in guests, and they hop onto another Peloton next to him, and he asks some questions, and it's kind of like a comedy evening talk show slash workout. And so I think that they tested it out this season, if you will, four episodes. I have done all of them, and I just did the new one. And just to give you a sense, some of the previous Special guests include, get ready for it, Carly Rae Jepsen. That is true. That actually happened. Of course I was there for that. 
one of the guys from NSYNC was another, I think, what was his name? J.C. Are you talking about the great J.C. Chazé? Chazé, yep. He was one of the guests. And that was actually a pretty funny one. And then today, the or the, the new one out this week, the special guest, and this is the close of the season, the season finale, and they've decked out the whole studio with Christmas decorations and that kind of thing, holiday-themed. Bowen Yang from SNL, who I guess is Cody's neighbor, he was in the studio along with some other guy who I suppose is famous and was rather funny, but I don't know who he was. So they were doing the normal nonsense. It was actually a bit much for my taste, just in terms of all the sexual innuendo and the jokes and whatever. It was fine, enjoyable enough. I was working up a sweat, and it was all holiday music. And almost all the holiday music, unsurprisingly, was Mariah Carey. It's fine. So it's almost over. It's a 30-minute ride. I want to say 26 minutes, 27 minutes into the ride, I gasped on the bike. I actually, like, said something that I can't say on the air out loud on the bike. And later Adam could hear me, and he's like, why did you say that? Like, what just happened? I have to give a spoiler alert, like I'm giving a spoiler to a TV show. Mariah Carey showed up. Wait a second, like, hold on. Like, actually Mariah Carey? Yes, like in-person Mariah Carey in the Peloton studio. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, I know. It had been Mariah music all along, and then they had her say, it's time, and then they played All I Want for Christmas is You. She danced around a little bit. She was there for maybe two minutes. That's it. But... It was wild. I was not expecting that. The, I can't even call it the audience. The people who are doing the exercise on the bike who are in the studio, they all started going crazy and screaming and cheering, and they took like a zoomed-out shot, and I couldn't see what was happening. Then all of a sudden they cut to Mariah Carey there, and I, I didn't lose it, but I have to admit that is a pretty impressive surprise cameo appearance for anyone, let alone, like, some quasi-talk show on an exercise bike. Mm, I, honestly, when you said Mariah Carey showed up, I was like, okay, they played the song, great. But that's amazing. Like, honestly, amazing. No, it was awesome. Like, I will say that is a pretty big payoff. And I was not expecting it. I was genuinely surprised. So my hat is off, like, bravo, LOL, Cody. That is a pretty good way to go out for this season, if you can call it that, of this show that he's created. But the whole thing made me think of, among other topics, the playlist that we are curating for the Christmas party here at the house tomorrow. We have last year's playlist. We have to build upon the playlist. We're going to be adding a few more songs, I think. That might be on the list for later on tonight. There's just so much to do before guests start arriving in just over 24 hours. The tent is now up in the backyard, although uh, I don't want to get into all the details, but we have to make an adjustment on the tent, so that's stressing me out. There's a lot of cleaning that has to be done. We have guests who are staying. Actually, some of our favorite Fox friends who are in town are staying at the house. We've got to get ready on that front. We've got to order a few more things in terms of food and alcohol, just some last-minute stuff. And I always have this moment usually the day before the party, i.e. today, where I wonder, have I bitten off more than we can chew? Because it's a bigger invite list and more yes RSVPs than we've ever had. 
and I know it will end up fine, and I know it will be a great opportunity for fun and revelry and merriment, and it will be a success. It's a great party, but I'm definitely in this mode at the moment, and actually doing the show is a nice sort of brain distraction to other things from everything that I've got to start doing here in a few minutes, just a sprint to the finish. And I'm not sure if it's like useful for me to talk about my stress to you, because with all love and respect, you are not necessarily known for your stress reduction powers. Let's put it that way. So what? I don't know who to turn to. Well, first of all, you should have turned to me. I have offered services of help this whole time for our party. You definitely did not take me up on anything. And I want to get back. No, because you would probably order stuff for the party and have it sent to Los Angeles. Hollywood, to be exact. Hollywood, California. That's Mm -hmm. a callback to yesterday's home stretch. (laughs) So anyway, go on. But so I think you got the food down. You got the decor. Do we have some good light-up decor, blow-up decor ready to go? There's no blow-up decor. There's some nice lights. It's all classy. Okay. Now let's talk about the music. I know you said there's not going to be any Nickelback, right? Like not even one Nickelback song? No, there will not be a single Nickelback offering. Will there be any Phil Collins on the playlist? Uh, There might be. I'm not saying no. I just can't remember if we had some Phil Collins. My guess is probably one or two, yes. Interesting. I do have some other ideas, and I'm hoping you can add this song to the playlist. Hit it, Dan. Slashing around the Christmas tree At the Benson Party Hop Shots of vodka where guy can't see And YY tries to stop Slashing around the Christmas tree Let carousel spirit ring Later we'll have some finished long drink And we'll do some reading Of the Wall Street Journal you Sentimental feeling when you hear voices screaming, please stop cookie. Deck the halls and call my bookie. Sloshing around the Christmas tree. Have a happy holiday. Everyone dancing merrily. In a mama's juice kind of way. Oh, this is bad. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Wow. (laughs) So I was actually till the very end wondering if Dan had boycotted this entire thing smartly. But no, he was Santa at the very end. So I don't even know what to say. You had warned me that Mm -hmm. C. Diddy was going to make an appearance. You warned us on the home stretch yesterday. I was not prepared for that level of production value. That is, I have to say, I am impressed. I am impressed with what I just heard. It was very funny. I have to go back and listen to this now. Why it was just like the deadpan, like dead behind the eyes narration was perfect compared with Some actually not terrible singing by Christine. 
Oh. Until the very end. <laughs> oh, the the, the very bad. end was very rough. That last <laughs> note was premature. It came a few beats too early. Mm-hmm. And then you tried to drag it out for too long, and it was <laughs> off pitch. I think we can sort of – I'm like Simon Cowell here, just giving some constructive feedback. But aside from that, I think it was pretty tight. I think it was well-crafted. I think it was uh, genuinely funny. And who produced that? So I wrote – everything and then Bobby and I produced it together but Bobby really was very helpful because I think Dan really wanted to distance himself from this he was very worried. I I do not blame Dan at all for that but I also have to just like tip the cap to Bobby that was good yeah he and honestly we just recorded this today at like 11 and we said because I said Dan you have to be a part of it somehow so I said could you just like pretend you're Santa and he's like fine so he gave us a couple ho ho ho's and uh, off we sent it to Bobby, and what? Damn, we got it back in like forty-five minutes. Yeah, not even. That was great. All right, turn that around quickly. That is impressive. You guys kept me in the dark. I knew something was coming. I didn't know what it was going to be. That's why I said I was as scared coming into this segment. And that's <laughs> just fantastic. Was why it? It sounded like he did this to some extent against his will. That is how it sounded, at least. But maybe that's the shtick. Um. Guy, I actually, uh, I was kind of in on this. I kind of actually enjoyed doing this. I thought this was actually one of our, some of our best work, me and Christine and Dan. I think, well, I think it's this a is... very low bar, but yes, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of the music, quote unquote, that you all have produced through the years, uh, this was by far the best. There was no rapping, thank goodness, and it was very festive. It was uh, appropriate for the season. And I think the perfect way to send us into the first major Christmas weekend of 2022, including the Benson Christmas party, which I am now still stressed about. Uh, We'll see if we can maybe add that song to the playlist. Have everyone just get quiet for a second at the party and listen. No, 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 no. (laughs) That that was just. Could we have it? Could we have it performed live even perhaps? (laughs) I don't think so. I. We'll see. Wait, I, are you running away from your own product now, Christine? I mean, I are just, you ashamed of this? No, I'm. I'm. I mm. loved sharing it with the audience because I didn't have to see faces. But I don't think at a no, party you should have pe- seen my face. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I woke up. Was it yesterday morning at four thirty in the morning with this idea in my brain, and I got up right then and there and wrote the whole thing. You must have texted Wyatt at four thirty. He'd been up for an hour drinking his coffee. T- you know, reading the journal. I think I texted Wyatt and Dan yesterday morning at 6.30 where I started laying out the lyrics. Bobby was helping a little bit. He punched up a couple of things for me. He's my punch-up guy. Um, but, yeah, I, I just I must have just come in my dream or something because I'm like, oh, we have to do this. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it like a solid slow clap. I was expecting so much worse, truly. And that was actually a bit of a joyful romp, multiple inside jokes, not the worst performance I've ever heard, and maybe we'll just have to play it for everyone at the party. Now you've, you've inspired me. I think the whole party needs to hear it at peak attendance, too, mm. preferably with as many Fox News personalities present. I'll have Christine come out and take a big curtsy, and why I can take a bow. And uh, an assist to Bobby. Thank you for that, Bobby. Wow. Well, have a great weekend. Um, 
if you want to hear that song again, you can go back and get the free podcast. I'm going to listen myself. GuyBensonShow.com. Back here on Monday, we'll recap the chaos during our home stretch. Then, enjoy your weekend. Thank you for listening. It's the Guy Benson Show. Oh, yeah. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.